with a big man in a red suit and some garland and trees of which all, all I am a fan of. Uh, tremendously, it does not replace a thing when it comes to our position, so to speak, as a church or as a body, as Christ's body, in engaging in thoughts about the worth of Jesus this holiday season. And it's even more so great that we get to um, think about the birth of Christ um, in Advent and, and especially here at Christmas Eve because it's really where the gospel starts for us. It's when God makes a decisive plan to clothe himself in flesh and walk amongst us with a plan of redemption. God didn't outsource the job of redemption to an angel. He didn't kick the can down the road, so to speak. He came himself. And that is remarkable. For me this morning... That is awesome. That is great news. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about a story, an announcement really, where we see an angel appear to some shepherds in a field. And these shepherds are probably close uh, in proximity to where the Messiah, Jesus, is born or has been born in Bethlehem. And the significance of this angel appearing before these shepherds is that they give these shepherds good news of great joy for all people. Now, that may be somewhat of a statement that we're familiar with for the most part, but in these days, men, women alike, were eagerly anticipating the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. There was a, a despair that filled the world. There is a great anguish that filled the people of God as they waited for these days to come. So in a sense, the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, who was prophesied through prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, was prophesied in a time of when there was great darkness a pervasive darkness in the world, this sat just right in the ears of many. Not most, but many. Good news of great joy for all people. So, the significance of what this angel seeks to announce, or what he seeks to make known, is that a child has been born But not any child, the long-awaited Messiah, and might I add, God himself. (laughs) Again, he didn't give this job to somebody else to do. He came himself. A good friend of mine, Alan Hood, at a conference I was leading worship at, said that a third of the angels fell in seemingly God did nothing. (laughs) It's almost like quiet in heaven. A man and a woman falls short of the glory of God. And God sees fit to send himself to the earth to reconcile the relationship between God and humanity. That should speak to the value and worth that we have in the eyes and the heart of God this morning. Verse 2 of the Gospel of Luke chapter 11 says that a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born in the city of David. 
these titles given reveal the greatness of Mary's son. They reveal the greatness of Mary's son. The angel's message to the shepherds is the joyful news that the Savior promised to Israel in its darkest days is now a present reality. God is with them in the flesh. Do you hear my words this morning? God is with them. He's no longer a distant entity known from afar. He's close to us. He's close to them in this present moment. And that is the significance of this announcement. There was a great despair that filled the hearts of many who were awaiting this time. And may I add, we have a promise too, don't we? We may be, for the most part, unconnected, I guess, for lack of better words, to the promise that we have, but we, the church, are awaiting another coming of Christ. And I can't help but think, you know, this year, how, how much my mind has drifted from that promise. Meaning, the same despair that was in most, not all, but most, as they waited for the arrival of this Messiah, should be in us today as we await the second coming of Christ to rule as King of the earth. But we've made our home here. We've become very comfortable here in the world and that anguish, that despair is, is absent in the church. The, the, the despair more is something that reflects an American Western ideal where we're grappling after success and finances and prestige and better jobs, better houses, checks in the mail. But yet, there's a real despair that should fill the earth. And that's the longing for the second coming of Christ. But that's not my message this morning. But if it challenges you Christmas Eve, so be it. So be it. We are but strangers and foreigners here. And that's the way we should see it this morning. And Christmas, or it being Christmas Eve, changes nothing about that truth. But God is with us. That is the promise that the angel makes. And, and, and friend, this morning, that promise does not have an expiration date. It didn't have a shelf life. It, it wasn't just conducive on, uh, or, or specific to the time before Christ's resurrection. It still exists today. And might I just be as bold to say Christ is present here even now amongst us. <laughs> You're like, what? It's the gospel. Jesus is is near. He's present when two or three gather in His name. Yet we live unaffected really by that. In in, in the most part, in our minds, I guess, we, we don't come to church really with that thought, that train of thought, to just by coming and being together that Christ is present. We need programs and decent music And if we can now in the church, we have fog machines and light machines and all sorts of interesting things to appeal to our lower nature.
But Jesus does not reduce his nearness to this time in history in Luke chapter 2. In the Gospel of Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always. How many know when Jesus makes a promise, you can take it to the bank? It's, it's, it's ironclad. It's, it's, it's for sure it's going to happen. It's, it's, he's not a man that he would lie or string us along. He, he makes a statement. He makes a promise. And he stands by that promise. Jesus says with his own words in the Gospel of Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is a glorious promise, church. God is with us. I can't say that enough this morning. Because I want somehow, some way, our minds and our hearts to connect to that truth. Paul works. In Acts chapter 17, he works hard at conveying this very truth to some people in Athens. Paul works at explaining how God is not found in temples. He's not needing to be served by human hands. He fills everything and he gives everything to mankind. That's Paul's message in Acts chapter 17. Paul explains how God is not an object to be worshipped. He's not unknown. But listen to me, he's very much wants to be known. Therefore, he's not far off, but very much near to us this morning. And so much to the point in verse 28 of Acts chapter 17, Paul would say something that confuses many of us, certainly does my heart and my mind. He says in verse 28, it's in God we live, we move, and we have our being. I can't even begin to understand or to capture that truth in its reality and its significance. I know it's real, but somehow in this life, it's hard to think of ourselves, isn't it, as living and moving and having our very being in God. And maybe I'm not doing a good job at explaining that. Largely, it's because I don't understand it. I take it for face value, though. And in that, there has to be significance. But here, we're thinking upon the nearness of God, where we can actually live, move. I imagine that means move in our life, make decisions. I don't know, whatever it is. But move and have our very being in God, where He takes up space within us and guides those decisions and guides our lives, guides our movements. In other words, I say all this about the nearness of God to say this is not a Job 23, 1 through 4 nearness. Turn with me to the book of Job. Job chapter 23, the first four verses. Here's Job. Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find God. No, this is not that kind of nearness. 
that I might find God, that I might come even to his seat, that I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with complaints. No, this is not that kind of nearness at all. (laughs) This is a Jeremiah 23, 23 nearness. Listen, I'm a God at hand. This is Old Testament. This This is said in a time where people treated God as a distant figure, an entity, where they would send Moses up to talk to God, and they would just, in fear, back away. Here, the prophet Jeremiah says, God is a God at hand. And he closes with, and not a God far away. No, this is a Jeremiah 23, 23 nearness that we get to indulge ourselves in. The New Testament church. See, Christ did something remarkable. For the most part, we treat him as like a a ticket to get out of hell free. You know, it's like, hey, I, I wore my bracelet, I put my bumper sticker on the car. (laughs) But Jesus did something remarkable in His coming. He did something remarkable in His death, in resurrection. He bridged a gap that existed between humanity and God. And now, on this side, I'm yelling, okay? I'm sorry. I know we're in Cambridge. You're not supposed to do that, I guess. I didn't get the memo. Oh, but I see some concerned looks. I'm okay. I, as, I know, I'm, as I know of now, I'm okay. I'm just passionate about these things. But God, through Christ, bridges a gap that existed. He, he made a way so that we could pass through His blood and be washed in that blood so that we could present ourselves, not timidly, not cowardly, but boldly before God Himself. I, I know we know that. And we've heard that. Yeah, it sounds great. But that is a profound truth. And that truth starts at the birth of Christ. That hope unravels in Luke chapter 2. Never did it exist in God's desired plan or God's heart for him to be perceived nor for him to be thought of or considered as a God who is far from his people. And this is what Paul works to convince the people in Athens and to convince us of this morning. And with the birth of Christ, the Son of God, we see God in His love for humanity. We see the richness of God's mercy and we see the greatness of God's love. Why? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, but God, but God. Don't you love that in the gospel? You, you, you notice when, when, when Paul interjects with these two words, it's like all was hopeless, all was dark, all was empty, But God steps in. He steps in. Ah, But God, being rich in mercy, because of great love, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Can you believe that? That it wasn't anything great about us? It wasn't like we were perfect and God came. 
that we were righteous in God's eyes and He came. No, we were dead in our trespasses and He still came. God, He didn't outsource this job. He didn't give it to somebody else to do. He came Himself and He did it. So because of that great mercy and that great love of which He loved every one of us under the sound of my voice, it doesn't matter today if you name the name of Christ. Christ came to die for you just as much as He has come to die for somebody who does name the name of Christ in this room this morning. He made us alive together, together with Christ, by grace, not by our righteousness, not by our works, but by the grace of God, we've been saved. The thing that is remarkable about the Gospels, the thing that is remarkable about the verse a verse like this in Ephesians chapter 2 is that it gives us a real sense of our value and worth in the eyes and the heart of God. And I don't know about you, when, when I feel love from my wife, when I feel love from my child or a close friend, I mean, if somebody's not close to me, I, I don't care, but I'm just, just joking. I'm glad that went over well. But when I feel love, from my wife or my child or a friend, I feel value. I feel like they're valuing me. I feel like I have worth to them. And, And this is what God does when he makes a decisive decision to reduce himself. Can you, can you imagine with me God emptying himself of himself the man who fills up everything, the man who cre- the God who created everything, the heavens and the earth, emptying himself of his self. Listen, nothing short of love would make this loving God do such a thing. He empties himself of himself, considering not his status as God as a thing to be grasped. And nothing short of love could make God do this. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 15, 13? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus did. And it started at his birth. I want to, in closing, draw our attention to a psalm that I love. And really, when everybody was like, I don't really know what the weary world rejoice, rejoicing means. It, it was obvious to me, but maybe not to some. But if we go back to thinking about the despair that was in the world prior to Christ's birth, oh, we can definitely connect the dots. And maybe we would be able to connect those dots just a little better, forgive me for my English, if we ourselves lived with that despair as we await Christ and his arrival. But the opening words to this song is like this. Um, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the day of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. I think I said pinning last night. It looks like a pinning to me. I should have just replaced it with something more modern as I looked it up. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I love this. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. 
for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now, I want to connect us to the story of Christ's birth this morning. And it may seem a little shallow and insincere, maybe, contrived even, but I want to say this in light of this song, that there was a night. There was a night that stands out in history unlike any night in history. There was. It doesn't matter what your television tells you. It doesn't matter what your professor tells you. It doesn't matter what this world tells you. There was a night. And that night was holy, friend. That night was handpicked by God Himself. There was a night. And on that night, God dressed Himself in human flesh and walked on the scene of humanity in this world. And everything from that moment and even the moment we live today has drastically changed. Regardless if you can connect to it right now in your heart and mind or not, God changed everything. And for that we can give Him praise. And for that we can give Him glory. Thank you, Jesus. But there was a night, and that night was holy, and that night was set apart. Who knows what the stars were doing? I personally don't care. But what I do know, there was indeed a curse after Adam's sin that filled the earth in Genesis 3, 17, 18. This may be a little heavy for Christmas Eve. I watched this video on how pastors should address <laughs> their church during the holidays, and I almost threw up in my mouth. I was like, really? But there was indeed a curse that filled the earth, and we must connect to that, to the, to the reality and the soberness of that. There was in the world, a cursed world because of Adam's sin. But the moment that Jesus stepped on the stage, oh, the soul very much felt its worth and value as the Messiah was born. Especially those of us who were without hope. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> those of us who were without hope, those of us who were alienated from the promises of God's chosen Israel, we walked in a great darkness prior to Christ's birth. <laughs> the gospel doesn't start at his death and resurrection. The gospel starts at his birth. When behold, a great light was seen. <laughs> I'm yelling because I'm excited about this. I am thrilled <laughs> because I am the chief among all sinners. I am a man in desperate need of hope, and this, oh, this gives me hope. We walked in a great darkness prior to the light that Jesus brought into the world. Oh, love always gives us the feeling of being valued and having worth. The thrill of hope, right? That's what the song says, the thrill of hope. The sudden feeling of excitement and pleasure 
came into what was beforehand a desperate weariness. A world without, a world in need, a world in darkness, suddenly, in a moment, in a stable, in a manger, saw a great light, irregardless of they saw it with their eyes or not. But Matthew 4.16 says this about Jesus and the light that He showed the world. It says that the people, us, who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has been shined. The light of Jesus, friends, still shines brightly today. That light shines through us, the church. There's nothing that could ever, will ever, at any moment of darkness in history will derail the impact that Christ and His light has and still is having on the global stage. My question to us this morning, and this may be a heavy question for Christmas Eve, but it's this, what kind of impact does the light of Christ have on your life today? And what kind of impact is the light that Christ has called you to be having on the world today? Is that too heavy of a question to ask on Christmas Eve? I think not. I think that's a question we should wake up asking ourselves every day. Christmas in America changes nothing but the truth of the gospel, the truth of this word, and the truth that we are called to be light. To the degree that the light of Christ has impacted and changed us in our lives is to the degree in which we will impact the world or others with the light of Christ. Matthew 28, 20, if I can just lead you through some scriptures real quick, and I promise I'm going to get you on your way. Because hmm. I guess we have pajamas to wear and home alone to watch. Matthew. Yeah, it's an inside joke. You had to be here last Sunday. Matthew 28, 20, we went over this. Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then if you turn briefly to John 9, 5, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, just in summary of those two texts, Jesus says that He is with us to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 20. And as long as He is with us in the world, in us, he is the light of the world through us. John 9.5 Then, going over to John chapter 8.12 says this, When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness. You feel in darkness this morning. Who are you following? Because this is a promise. What do we talk about? When you... When you Hear the promises. When you read the promises of Christ, they are a sure thing. Jesus doesn't lie. And so when He says, those who follow Me will never walk in darkness, period. Done. You can rest assured 
That will be your plight. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. Then lastly, in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, uh, a series of scriptures that we're all familiar with. Jesus, and this is actually where we got the name Hilltop from. It's awesome for me. <laughs> Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they, instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way. Someone say, in the same way. Same Come on, way. say it again for me, church. I'm going to say it louder like you really mean it. Thank you, Jesus. That was good for me. <laughs> in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. And that's just not some pie-in-the-sky kind of light. Jesus equates light to good deeds. So our light looks like good deeds. And those good deeds in Jesus' mind glorify the Father. And I think it would do us good to glorify the Father as Jesus glorified the, uh, His Father. So Jesus is still bringing light into the world through His church, period. If there's something missing in the church, then it's because the church has lost its salt and light and needs to rediscover the call that it has to be salt and light. So what kind of impact has the light of God's Son had on you this morning? In light of this message, I would dare to say that He desires to have a great impact on your life. He's a gentleman. He'll only go where He's welcomed. He's not going to push the doors open, but He'll walk through them. He will walk through them if your heart yields. But what kind of impact is the light of Christ having on your life? And I guess a larger question for us this morning, Hilltop Church, if you're part of this church, if you're here for the first time, is what kind of impact will this church have on this city? That's really what's the most important thing. And maybe that's too heavy of a question to engage in on Christmas Eve. I think not. I think not. I think this is a question again that we should ask ourselves every morning. How am I being light and salt? How am I being true to the commission that Christ gave me? I think that's a good question to ask. I think that's a good question to ask and not come up with a lot of excuses on why, for what for, and why not. I think we need to just look at ourselves in a mirror like our good friend in passing, Michael Jackson, said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his way. But it's true. (laughs) It's true, guys. And I think this Christmas Eve, it would be good that we ask ourselves questions like this. We're not here to play church. 
We're here to be salt and light. We're here as a body to be that light set upon a hilltop, not seeking to put it under a basket, but let that puppy shine. And sometimes it's going to take us going against the grain of this narrow-minded, religious, intellectual city. But I think... I think that's a good thing. I think that's the kind of church Jesus wants in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Allegra and Will, will you please come? We are going to close with Oh Holy Night. Um, Matthew, Will is going to need his voice turned up loud. He's struggling, as he mentioned, um, sounding like Bob Dylan. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Will. So maybe if we turn that up real loud, it will help him not feel like Bob Dylan. But as, as we sing this song, I want us to reflect on the words in this song. And, and, and as we reflect, I want us to place ourselves in the lyrics of this song. Meaning, I don't want us just singing words and looking at the overhead. I want us to somehow believe that God in His grace would connect our hearts to the purposeful meaning of these song. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till he appeared And the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn Fall on your knees Oh, hear the angel voices Oh, night divine Oh, night When Christ was born Oh Our trials 
born to be our friends. He knows our need to our weaknesses, no stranger. Behold your King before Him, Lord. service um, we don't want to end this service without taking an opportunity to pray for people because even as we were singing the lyrics of this song the weary world rejoices that there's many of us in this place that we feel weary in heart there's places that we're weary even in struggle and some of us are even weary in our wrestle against sin there's places where we feel defeated and we feel overcome And this really isn't just about the acknowledgement of Christmas itself. It's a reminder to you that Jesus came to be a deliverer. 
that he didn't just come as a, a man in humanity. He came as fully God and fully man. And because of his birth, you have hope. So any place in our life that we feel hopeless, that we feel despair, it's because we haven't had a vision of who he is and what he has come for. He didn't just die on the cross so that our neighbor or our sister or our friend can walk in freedom. He came for your perfect liberty. He came for your perfect freedom and wholeness so you can be whole body, soul, and spirit. So if you are struggling mentally today, he wants to touch you with healing. If there's places, we just want to specifically pray corporately. If there's places that you are just struggling with hopelessness, that can be financially, that can be emotionally, that can be places of sin. There's no judgment here today, but we want the breakthrough of God in your life this Christmas season. We want your life to ebb and flow with hope because of who he is, not because of who you are. Oftentimes when we feel hopeless, it's because we're looking at who we are instead of who he is. And what we're praying is this Christmas season that you would have a fresh revelation of Jesus. Who he is in all of his beauty, all of his splendor, all of his power. And because of who he is, you can stand justified. You can stand without shame. And you can stand in hope. So if you're here today and you know you need a breakthrough of God this Christmas season, we just want you to stand to your feet. If you're already standing to your feet, you can even gather at the front. We want to rally around you and we're going to pray for the light of his countenance this, this Christmas season to break in and that hope would fill your heart and mind. Lord, we thank you, Father, for those that have gathered here today in this place. God, we thank you, Father, for those, Lord, that have come into this place and even in many ways, God, that they are weary in heart and in mind. But God, we thank you, Father, that you've gathered them here, Lord, to touch them, God, in a new and living way. God, I thank you, Father, that even as we remember the birth of Christ, Lord, that we would not reduce you to that infant in a manger, that we would not reduce you to the imagery that we see in this world, but knowing that ultimately that even as a son, you came born to die for the sins of man. You came with such purpose. And the purpose was redemption for humanity. So God, we speak over every person that has stood to their feet even now. We speak the truth of God's word that all things are redeemable all things are redeemable that there is nothing outside of your hand that there is nothing outside of your reach that every circumstance is redeemable god we thank you father that you are the god of redemption that your name is redeemer and we speak over every individual in this place mentally emotionally spiritually we speak over relationships we speak over finances and we declare redemption in the name of Jesus Christ that you would reveal yourself as redeemer this day and God I thank you father that even as we go about Lord our holiday celebrations Lord that our eyes would evermore be upon you and who you are and your ability Lord that our eyes would be off of ourselves and even one another in circumstances and Lord, that you would capture our vision, capture our gaze. 
Lord, that we would be caught up and caught away with a greater understanding of who you are and what you truly came for. Amen. 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 Well, tomorrow is Christmas. And we're all going to spend time with our families, our friends, those who are near and dear to us. I want to just ask that you would take a moment at Christmas and think about Jesus and his birth, his death and resurrection. Think deeply upon it and connect with the real joy that fuels a season like Christmas. Guys, we do this every Sunday 9.30 9.30 and 11. I don't even know the old, my own service times, but 9.30 and 11. And we want to encourage you to make it out next Sunday with us. We're going to be um, casting some vision, me and Bethany, as we step into a new year. Uh, 2018, new opportunities. I believe that God is going to be very kind to this church in 2018.